Oh my gosh. I left my Bible up here. <laughs> Good morning. I'm excited to be able to share this morning. Um, As I was preparing uh, the sermon, I went and I was thinking as I was going through all the, we started talking about all the baptismals and I started talking and Danielle goes, I want to go in the first service. I said, all right, we can do that. Second service comes and I'm like, there's nine. And then a couple of them are like, I want to share in the middle and... uh, and so I'm like, all right, so I have to, so I went to Neil, and I asked Neil, I said, so what do you do when once you have a full sermon, and then the second one is like five minutes long, what do you do? And he says, uh, he tells me, he goes, oh, just consolidate, that's it, that's pretty easy, just consolidate and try to come out. I have a three, at the end of the sermon, at the end of the sermon, I have a three-minute clip, and so if I have five minutes, so I'll do two minutes of sermon, and then, and then I'll show the three-minute clip. And so you guys are lucky you get the full book version and <laughs> second service gets the cliff notes. So that's where we are. Um, but as I was thinking about that, I began as we talk about um, what the sermon is. And the theme of the sermon is be his. And we've cha- and this is sort of kind of where we're going with our youth ministry is for the fall is to be his. And I began to start thinking um, what better way to share with you to be his, the idea of being his than having nine baptismals. Way stronger than any word that I could ever say, any message that I could ever share, to have nine students who are professing Christ as their first and foremost thing, and they want to do it publicly so that not only that we could hold them accountable, but so that, so that, the, that the world knows that they are followers of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we just come to you this morning. God, I pray for myself. I pray that, God, that the words that uh, you've inspired me to share this morning, God, really do come from you. And God, I pray that uh, as our our hearts and minds be open to receive the message, God, that not only that we take it in, but God, that we use it to be a part of our lives, our daily lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So I really don't get to preach that often here on Sunday morning, right? Right. I get like one or two times a year just preaching uh, on Sunday morning. And so I'll like, I get the pulpit. I get to shamelessly plug my youth ministry and everything else. I love what I do here at Hope Chapel. And I thank you um, that you allow me as the pastor of students to do what I do. Um, And uh, like Barbara said, we could also use some more help down in in the youth ministry. But I want to share just sort of where we're going as a youth ministry, um, just so that you know, is that the idea of be, what it means to be. And so this fall, we're, this fall and what I'm going to preach to you this morning is the idea of be his. The idea, and then in the wintertime, we're going to do, another, we're going to switch and it's going to be, the idea is be last. As Christ calls us to be servants, we are called to serve others and to be last, that, it, that our students will know what it means to be a servant. And then in the spring, we're going to go the idea of be real. And the idea of that there is, has to be a time in your life where you really, truly come and submit to the authority of God. And the last part of it is to be bold in your faith, to share in any way that God has called you to share your faith, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's 
out loud or whether it's just by ministering to people behind the scenes. But be bold in the understanding that Christ has called you to go and bear the good news. So over the summer, um, we've asked, we asked a question of, these, of our students is, who do you trust? And the idea of being his, we asked, who do you trust? And, we, and why do you trust that person? If you were to take a mental, a mental inventory right now in your own lives, who do you trust? Ask yourselves that. Really, think about it. Who do you trust and why? What some characteristics of someone we trust may come to mind is someone who's loyal, honest, caring, dependable. For most of us, there are unmistakable reasons why we trust others. These range from past experiences that we've had with that person to moments where they've come and helped us. Or in our relationships because they've given us good, offered good advice. Or, and in the same way, we distrust people because of those same reasons. Because of a lack of a relationship with them. Many of us, when new people come, we don't really trust them. We have to give them sort of the, you know, the once over. But sometimes after a while, we, after a relationship with that person, it builds and builds and builds. Till we get to a point where some of them become our good friends and we trust them with a lot of things that we have in our lives. And sometimes with our lives itself. Though most of us are willing to acknowledge this, is that um, human relationships are not perfect. But yet, many times as humans fail us over and over again, we continue to trust. Have, we ever, have you ever met someone that eventually has let you down or maybe hurt you, and yet you still continue to trust them? What it is is this. It may not have been intentional, that person that you lost trust with or that they hurt you. It may not have been intentional because imperfect beings will eventually exhibit imperfect behavior. We will fail constantly. There's not a person that can sit here that, you've not, that we can give 100% and say that they're not going to fail us. Christ is the only one that can do that. It is in our... It is our in that line of, uh, of thinking and as humans that we view God in the same way, I think a lot of times we transfer our human relationships onto Jesus. We say, you know what, I'm not going to trust Jesus because man or someone in our lives has failed us. We are skeptical, even though we know who God is, we still sometimes don't trust him enough with everything. We give God this much. When God says, I need it all. We say, God, I'll give you this part of my life. I'll give you my church life, and I'll trust you with that and the church that you're going to choose for me and the things that you're going to ask of me. But, God, when it comes to my finances, I got this. I can take care of this. God, when, when it comes to raising my children, when they're little, I'm going to bring them to Sunday school, and I'm going to trust that Within three or four years, by the time there's, you know, in grade school, I'm going to trust you with that. But as soon as sports and other things come, I got this. No Sundays. We're going to do other things in our lives. This is what we do. This is how we think. We think that we can take it in on ourselves. The idea is that, you know, this men mental inventory that, you know, we, that I asked you to do is that we sometimes realize that, we need to give God more 
We need to stop figuring out why we're struggling. The reason why most of us sit and struggle over situations is because we don't trust God enough. Pure and simple. We trust God enough just to get by. Where God says, I need it all. We stand here and we sit and we... we where she is saying to us, God, I give it all to you. I am called to be yours and yours alone. I profess in front of this. The reason why we do baptisms in front of church on Sunday is so that they know that you know that this person is a follower of Christ. Most of the times when we've asked Christ into our lives, it's been a one-on-one situation. We might have even been at a uh, you know, a revival or a retreat or something, or, um, or it could have been a one-on-one discipleship that you met someone and they began to mentor you and you accepted Christ. And usually, and some of you, some of us have accepted Christ by ourselves in our own rooms, and that's a private thing. Baptism is a public thing, and it's for us to, prof- to profess, I am his. The passages that we read, both the psalmist and the apostle Peter proclaim in a profound ways that the characters and the nature of God to understand that God is trustworthy. That in those two passages that we read um, in, in the psalm and in uh, it, it reads, and the idea is this, God is remarkably holy. God is completely reliable. God is all knowing and God is amazingly good. These things, the psalmist and, and Peter, the apostle Peter, literally share in those passages. Does it ever cross your mind how much God desires to be with you? How much God desires to be with us? He wants nothing more than to spend time uh, with us, to direct us, to give us wisdom, to challenge us, to move us forward and not hold us back. I began, last, yesterday I was sharing, uh, I was working and going over my sermon, and my oldest son, Caleb, comes, into my, comes in, I was in the dining room, and he literally pulls up to me, you know, he's got his pajamas on, it's in the morning, and he says, what are you doing? And I began to share, like, I'm, I'm preparing a sermon, I was like, I'm doing what Pastor Neil does in the morning, and he's like, oh, okay, he says, what are you talking about? So I began to, like, all right, okay, you know. I'm talking about what it means to be his. And I began to share with him um, literally how much God loves us. I went over John 3.16 with my son right there yesterday morning. And as I began to share John 3.16 with him, I began to think in my mind as I was sharing, I would lay down my life for my son every day. Every day, 24 hours, 365, I would lay my life down for my son. And then I began to think, would I lay his life down for someone else? That was a hard thing for me to think about. That was really hard for me to think that I would lay my son's life down for someone else. But this is exactly what Christ did for us. This is what Christ did. His only son laid his life down for us. It was just for me at that moment, I have heard that passage my whole life. I've known that passage. I've read that passage. I've I've preached on that passage. But at that moment, I realized 
Why don't I trust God more? If he's willing to lay his son's life down for me, if he's willing to to give that away so that I can know him, spend time with him, meet him, that he is the creator of the universe, and yet he's willing to do all this for me, why, am I, why don't I trust him with everything? Why am I continually holding myself back? And I began to start, and, and, I, and I, I realized as humans, we, we try just about everything to want to be wanted, and to be needed in our lives. We do. Everybody wants to be needed. And yet here is God who wants to get to know us, that he really wants to challenge you to look into your own lives and figure out why you don't trust him. God offers us a lifelong relationship. But yet we as humans and we as some of us as followers literally choose to trust the world. We want validation from our peers and from this, from this world that literally doesn't want to give it to us. And if it does give it to us, it's temporary. God promises us validation and understanding of who we are lifelong. Not only lifelong here on earth, but eternally. This is what God promises us. Because he loves us that much. God's love promises never to fail us and never to leave us. Look back in Psalm 139. It says, everything you see about our lives in these verses points out to that the creator, that Jesus Christ, that God can be trusted. In verse 13 and 14, it says, we are told how remarkable we are. Before even a breath ever filled our lungs, we were knit together by God in the wombs of our mothers. He has written our story, and the psalmist is reminding us this, that we belong to the one who has created all things and who is holding it all together. The world sends us lots of different messages that really contradict what God says. The world says this. The world says significance, significance comes from self. The world says we can control our own destinies. The world asks if God, if, if God can really be trusted. If God, in fact, is so good, why is there hurt and pain? If God can be trusted, why do things not work out in my favor? Many of us struggle with those questions always. And you know what? I'm going to tell you the answer. Here's the answer. In 25 minutes, I couldn't tell you and begin to explain. But if you really want to know why these things happen, God's answers are here in his word. The reason why most of us don't trust them is because we don't know him. Here is why God, here is what God says to us. It says, if you want to get to know me, know my word. This is Christ, this is God's love letter to us. The scriptures literally tell us every characteristic of who God is. It challenges us to look deeper and deeper into God's word so that we may get to know him. Yeah, I can't tell you those things really quickly, but I can tell you these things. 
However, I can tell you with absolutely certainty that this is true. God created us. In verse 13, we have been remarkably and wonderful made by him. Verse 14. He has a plan for us. In verse 16. We are created to be his, to spend time in his presence and reflect God's goodness in our lives. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 12, it says, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of his possession. We belong to God. We exist to proclaim his praises. This idea of royal has literally grabbed our youth ministry by storm. It is literally what I have called our students now. I call them princesses and princes because that's who they are. And many of us have to understand what it means to be royal. And I think a lot of us don't live up to that idea of who we are, that we are princesses and princesses of the creator of God himself. This is who we are. Well, being of a royal line, we, I, you know, we look at our royals, the people over across the pond. We realize royalty comes with a lot of cool stuff. Great privileges, big castles, an inheritance, title, and security. But it also comes with scrutiny, expectations, and living a life befitting of a prince and princess. This is who, the, this, that second part, is who God calls us, us to be. That there are going to be times as we proclaim who we are, that people are going to scrutinize our lives. Everything, if we proclaim Christ to be his, that people literally put on the binoculars and begin to look and nitpick everything in our lives. They're going to challenge you, if you're a Christian, why are you doing this? Well, if this bad thing happened, why does God do, why is God allowing this to happen? And they expect you to come up with the answers, right? They'll ask you those questions over and over again, and you, sometimes you're like, um, uh, I don't know. And that's all right. But I want to give you a little bit of insight as this, is that there has to be a time in your life that you are going to say, yes, I'm his. I am royal. And with that, we must learn what it means to be a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, to be a part of the lineage of God. And a lot of us, it comes back to this. And I say this, I say this to our students and I say it to us because there's no difference between what I do on, on Wednesday and Monday and what happens here on Sunday is that if we're not in God's word, there's no way you're going to ever, ever be able to answer those questions. You want to know who God is. You want to know some of these answers that some of these people are going to have. You want to know just it may not be exactly right, but you're going to be in a you're going to be in a place where you will be able to respond with God's words and not your own. Where God will literally be able to give you the words to speak. I reflect back onto that first part of the of our sermon and I and I asked you, who is that person that came to mind? Someone who you trust. For whatever reason, that person had come, uh, that came to mind, um, had significant impact on your life. When asked about a trustworthy person, he or she came to mind. Trust is a profound bond. It is built over time through personal relationships, 
the presence or absence of trust in a relationship can impact not only who we see, how we see others, but how we see ourselves. Some of us have been hurt so badly in our lives that we see ourselves not as being useful. We don't see ourselves as being royal at at the very least. But yet some of us as child of God, we we need to be reminded that's exactly who we are. The same is true with our relationship with Jesus, with our relationship with, with God. Is that the more time we spend with him, the better we'll know his character, the more we'll be able to trust him in our lives and our future. Because God is perfectly trustworthy and faithful to those who are his. To be his is to know what it means to completely be loved and accepted. I, I cannot share this enough. When we come in our lives to God, the one and the, one of the coolest things I get to share with our students is that there's never going to be a time where you're not going to be loved and accepted. The world, will ne- the world may not love you and accept you, but God will. And that is just awesome to know. The idea of being his means that there is no doubt in our lives who our lives belong to, that we trust God fully with everything. And to understand that when we commit our lives to God, that there has to be this this no doubt attitude. That there is no doubt that when we walk, when in our regular lives, that people know who we serve. That in our lives, do you, that, that when, when you're around your colleagues, your friends, do people understand that the Holy Spirit lives and resides inside of you? Is there an idea that this is going on? Or is your life looking a little bit Cloudy, this, the passage in Matthew uh, uh, 13 and 14, God calls us to be light in the midst of darkness. To be a city on a hill. John Winthrop wrote that about Massachusetts, about us who live here, that God has called us. Well, I really see this for us as a church in Hope Chapel, that we are called to be a city on a hill. That this church, that us as a congregation, God has called us to do amazing things as a church. And in order for us to be a light in the midst of darkness, which is Worcester County and in our school, in our public schools and in our workplaces, that we as a congregation have to literally have no doubt in our lives that we are his. We can no longer idly sit by in this this and meander in this mediocrity of Christianity in our faith. We can't just sit and be okay with getting by. Because we serve a God that is great and literally tells us that you are remarkably made not okay, not mediocre. And that God has called us to a standards that we need to live as as followers of his. We no longer can live by the standards of the world that are here when God calls us to live here. This attitude is not good for growth, for us as individuals and also for the church. I also look at our, at our lives and I begin to start thinking that, you know, this passage in Matthew says, 
God calls us to be light in the midst of darkness. I did a, I took one of the candles a couple weeks ago and I shared this passage with our student because I want them to be lights in the midst of darkness at their schools. But, and I literally took one of the uh, candles and I, and I read the whole passage of that and I took a, a basket and I literally put it over the candle. I turned out all the lights and you couldn't see the light. It was still on, still going. But you couldn't see the light. The room was pitch dark. The moment I took it off, it literally lit up the whole room. The idea is this, is are we living in lives where our lives that look under a basket? Are some of us living our lives as followers of Christ, knowing some of you and some of us have literally accepted Christ? We've been baptized, and as Danielle said that uh, she's scared of is that continuing in the regular things that she was in, in sinful things in her lives, literally saying, yes, here I am, I'm a light, and then literally taking a basket and, t- and just literally covering it. Is this how we're living? Are we living a life where there is no difference from the outside? Because God's changed us on the inside. God lives and resides us as followers of his on the inside. But is the outside representative of who God is on the inside? One of my favorite movies, uh, I want to share with you just a, a portion of this as they cue this up, is Remember the Titans. Some of you are younger and you're like, I don't even know what that movie is, which is a shame. Uh, but the, there's a point, there's this, this, the clip that I'm going to show you, I'm going to give this... Coach Yost is this. It's it's in Virginia. It's you know. There's this idea of uh, black versus white and racial uh, harmony that's going on, and they kick the, this coach out. And literally, they say, "Hey, if you just do this, if you just literally just let everything go by, and we're gonna rig all the games. And if you just let it go, you'll get back. You'll get in the Hall of Fame. We'll get you another job back. You'll do all these things." And he is literally sits in this dilemma of choosing the world or choosing what is right. Let's watch the video. Hey, Mr. Fisher. Mr. Fisher, can I talk to you for a second? Back off, coach, if you want to stay in this game. I've got holding on 78 white. What are you? Are you trying to cheat my boys out the game? 15 more yards. Listen, let them play, ref. Let them play. Reasonable. Let them play. Let the boys play. Cheetah. Coach, come on. Cheetah. Coach. Go, 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 go. I know all about it, Titus. What are you talking about, Bill? You call this game fair. Or I'll go to the papers. I don't care if I go down with you. 
But before God, I swear I'll see every last one of you thrown in jail. You dig your own grave. Defense on me! Okay, Petey, don't you drift to the strong side. Coach, they're calling a holding penalty on me every time. Did I ask for your excuses? You want to act like a star? You better give me a star effort, do you hear me? Forget about him! Alan! You're in! Come on! All right. Now, I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night! If they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm gonna take every last one of you out. You make sure that they remember forever the night they played the Titans. What? Make yourself comfortable down there. Real comfortable. For you, coach. All right, baby. All right. You brought us here, coach. Run it up, Herman. Leave no doubt. I get the tingles every time I see the, that clip. The idea of this clip is this: is in our lives, do we leave no doubt that we are followers of Jesus Christ? in your everyday lives, think about it. Ask yourself that question. When you go to work tomorrow, is there going to be, when you walk into, room, into a room, are people going to have any doubt that you are a follower of Jesus? My encouragement is that if you cannot answer that question, that there is no doubt, I pray and I hope that you go here and you get to know God so that you can trust him with everything. So that in our lives, there is no doubt. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are and how you love us. God, we thank you as we see baptism today. And that for Danielle and for those who will be baptized in second service, God, that there is no doubt at this point in their lives that they are followers of you. God, I pray that we live this, that this idea of no doubt and to be yours and to be yours with everything that we leave and we hold nothing back from you God that we submit to the authority of you that we realize that we are no longer ourselves but we were bought as a price at a price that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us that in even in the in the womb of our mothers, God, that you loved us even then. And God, that because of that, that you loved us from the, that you loved us from the beginning and you will love us for, to the end, God, that there is no reason for us to trust, not to trust you. 
because you are holy and you love us and you just desire to spend time with us. God, I pray that that's, our, that's what we do this week. For some of us that it may be the first time ever that we, that this whole idea of being yours has never even crossed our mind. And for those, God, I pray that they seek out counsel, that they come and talk to one of the people in their church or the person who brought them, that they realize that, God, that you want to spend this relationship with them. And, God, I pray that if that's the case, that, God, that they will seek that out. For those of us who have literally let the, the candle in our lives be hidden, God, I pray that we take the basket off that the light that you have instilled in us becomes and gets reflected out of us because it is you who lives in and resides inside of us, God. God, for those who have literally been keeping it going, God, I pray that you will add fuel to their fire. God, for those who have been consistently faithful to you, God, I pray that you would literally give them jet fuel so that their light can burn extra bright and that there will be people around Worcester County this week that will be drawn to your light because of your people, because of you who are living inside of the people of Hope Chapel. God, we thank you because we are unworthy to even speak your name, but God, you give us the privilege. And so because you give us the privilege, I pray that we will make it a priority. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. We thank you for who you are, and God, we thank you that you love us. Amen.